open up to James chapter 5. But anyways, James chapter 5, uh, we, we're going to see in verse 9, the sighing, um, the groaning, the grumbling. We're going to deal with that. Um, verses 10 and 11, the, the suffering. A lot of you guys are suffering. What do you do with that? And then verse 12 is the swearing. And so remember in the book of James, you guys, it's kind of cool just to kind of keep it in context. James is this guy. He's real practical. Um, he is theological, but not, you know, doctrinal like Paul the Apostle in the book of Romans. He really wants you to live out your life, your Christian life in a very practical way. He wants you to be real. And so um, for us, as we're learning the book, Hopefully, it's changing our life. We're living out our faith. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, on his commentary in the book of James, he just said, be real. That's the title. You know, be a real Christian. Be real. And so he says here in James 5, verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and, and merciful. But above all, he says in verse 12, my brethren, and again, that's the third time he's mentioned the brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Judgment. He mentions judgment, and so he's talking about the judge. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever, how many of you guys have stood before the judge? You've actually stood before a judge, and some of you won't raise your hand, but, you know, (laughs) I've been there, I've been there. You stand before the judge and whatever the situation is, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to accept whatever he says, you know? And, and, and you just got to understand, I think sometimes Christians forget that, yeah, we're saved, we're forgiven, we're free, we're blood-bought, bonafide believers, but you will still stand before the judge. And so he's saying, live your life right. Because one day you're going to stand before the judge. And so not only like as a pastor, as a Christian, do I share these things with you so that you can have a beautiful life, so that you can enjoy your life, you can enjoy fellowship with one another. It's so important because if everybody starts living like Jesus, imagine what a community we would have. Imagine what an impact we would have, right? So not only that, though, but then also preparing you for the day you stand before the judge, that's going to happen. It's inevitable. One day we will stand before Jesus. And hopefully because you were taught the Bible and you really learned like, well, how am I supposed to be and what does God expect of me or what's going to happen on that day, that when you stand before Jesus, that you'll be blessed, that you'll be rewarded, that Jesus will be glorified. Because, you know, we studied stuff like this. And so he begins, first of all, with, with the sighing. If, that's what I called it in verse 9. Notice again where he says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Now remember, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians getting condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so um, previously, because you've got to be careful, you don't want to connect it too much. Previously, he's talking about maybe Christians being hurt by non-believers. And so you got this rich guy taking advantage of the widow or the poor person, 
And so that was then, but now he's talking about conflict within the church, within the brethren. And so it's a little different. And so he says, you got you to gotta be careful that you don't grumble against one another. You know, and that's sometimes a, a difficult thing to do because in the church, you have a lot of interesting individuals, don't you? You know, you have people that sometimes we struggle with. Remember that saying, to live above with saints we love will be amazing glory, but to live below with saints we know? Now, that's a different story. You guys remember that, right? (laughs) We laugh, but if you grumble against these Christians, then it will stunt your growth. And so what James says is, is stop it. Literally in the Greek, it's kind of cool in the Greek language, it could be more specific. Stop grumbling, stop groaning, stop moaning against people. We have that command. You know, when I think of the word grumble, I don't know about you, but to me it's kind of a funny word. What do you mean grumble? What do you mean? Well, if you look at it in the original language, you'll find that the word is not speaking about our typical concept of grumbling or, you know, murmuring or complaining. Neither is it a reference to backbiting or gossip or complaining or slander. Those are things that James has already dealt with. We have letter A, it's the command. And and what he's saying is don't grumble. In all reality, James is speaking of something deeper than all of that. So, you know, you guys know the temptation, right, to talk smack about somebody, to talk negative about someone behind their back when they're not there to defend themselves and how horrible that is and how that should never happen out of the lips of the Lord's people. We should not be doing that. You got something to say? Say it to them, right? That's how we should live as Christians. But that's even not what he's talking about here. He's actually talking about something deeper. It really is. The, the Greek word translated grumble It's found six times in the Bible, and it's translated also in other ways. For example, grief, groan, and the word sigh, to sigh. And so in all reality, what James is saying right here, he's talking about feelings that are internal, not necessarily expressed or spoken verbally or explicitly. You know, and and what he's saying right here is... As we think about another individual, um, even the feelings that we have inside towards them need to be dealt with. You know, their feelings, not uh, good feelings, they're bad feelings that we can get. Look again at the verse in James 5. He says, do not grumble, sigh, moan, groan against one another. You know, we're, we're not talking about good feelings. We're talking about bad feelings. We're talking about the groanings, the signing, the signs inside that are negative. And, and just when you thought it was okay, you know, just when you thought it was okay to harbor feelings of bitterness and resentment inside of our hearts, as long as we didn't articulate it, as long as we didn't say anything, God says, no, it's not okay for you to let those types of carnal feelings camp out inside of your heart. That when you think of that individual, you think of that person, you think of those people, inside you groan, inside you moan, inside you sigh. And believe it or not, you guys know this, man. I mean, we're not legalistic people. The, the Jews, they still kind of are. It's very external. But the Lord said, when you look at a woman, and you know, you know, as far as, you know, lusting for her, that's adultery. 
Now, some people will say, no, you got to do the act. But Christianity says, no, it's something that's within the heart. You, you look at a person and you hate them and you think, well, that's not a big deal because I never even see them. But God says, you never seen them, but you murdered them. Because what we find, you guys, and it's important for us to know to come clean, is that the Lord, he looks at our heart. And sometimes we have things in our heart that are hindering us from experiencing the power of God, the fullness of God, the things that, are, that make us really like Jesus. And so he's saying, Christians, brethren, don't grumble against other people. God says it's wrong. God says, no, my daughter, my son, I love you so much. I want all your heart. I want to set you completely free. I want you to be clean all the way to the core to the point that even our groans are godly and even our sighs are spiritual. You know, if you have an old King James, any of you here have an old King James? I'm just curious. King James Version? Wow, I'm surprised. Okay, one. Teresa, I'm proud of you. Henry, all right, good job. It's in the front row, and I'm just joking. <laughs> that King James, <laughs> it uses the word grudge. Don't grudge. Now that word, I think we kind of know a little bit more, huh? I think I understand that a little bit more than when grumbling. When, when there's that grudge inside of us that we're nursing, that we carry. I don't like him. I can't stand her. I don't want to be around them. They get on my nerves. They bug me. They did me wrong back in the day. And, and there's that grudge inside of us that just won't budge. You won't forgive. And James says, listen, you are a Christian. For you, it's different. For us, we got to get rid of even that ugliness of having a simple grudge inside. Leviticus 19, we've read it in the Old Testament, it says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, you know, one of the cool things about the Bible, one of the cool things about being a Christian is God says, okay, he doesn't just say, well, stop doing that. He says, replace it with something else. Like, for example, in the book of Ephesians, he says, um, you know, don't steal from anybody anymore like you used to steal. But what I want you to do now is I want you to work with your hands so that you can give to people. That's what it says. Or don't lie to one another or speak the truth to one another. So they take something and he says, don't do this. Start doing this. What God says right here in Leviticus 19 is don't bear a grudge against any of the people. On the contrary, Love them. So you got this grudge that won't budge. You get your, this grudge that you're nursing. You know, there's this thing inside of you towards an individual. And who's it messing up? Not messing up that person. It's messing up us. And so what the Lord says is, is you got to love them. Don't groan. Don't sigh. Or when you think about that individual, you, you know, one of the things I was thinking, I was like, Lord, but some of these people and the things that they've done and the way that they hurt individuals and how can we expect ourselves not to have that type of grudge? And what I found is that, the, like Jesus said, what do you do for your enemies? What, what should we do for our enemies? You guys know, huh? Pray for them. When you start praying for your enemies, then God begins to change your heart. I always trip out. I trip out on when Jesus was on the cross and they nailed him to the cross and they were mocking on him, spitting him and beating him. I always trip out on how he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. 
And so, you know, the Bible says in John, John 13, 35, James is saying, let's, let's do this. Let's be real Christians. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, and so I know you're thinking, well, it's asking for a lot. But as Christians, we have a higher standard you're a saint, you're saved, you have, we have the Spirit of God living within us. And so no moaning aloud, no groaning, no grudging, none of that type of sighing. That's how deep, that's how real, that's how amazing God wants to work in our life. Again, we can groan maybe about other people. We can groan perhaps about what they've done. But what James says right here is we can't groan against other people and so we have the command and just in case you're here and you're like well you know what that's between me and the lord and i don't really want to listen to what that pastor guy says you know maybe you need a little more stimulation look again at verse 9 he says do not against one another brethren lest you be condemned behold look the judge is standing at the door. I mean, we're not talking about us, you know, giving the command because Manny doesn't like it or the church doesn't like it. We're talking about this is something that needs to be obeyed because if it's not obeyed, we will feel the brunt of the punishment and discipline and, you know, the sentence, so to speak, of whatever judge Jesus sends our way. And that's what I love about James is he doesn't mess around. Sometimes Christians think that they can just do whatever they want. You know, and maybe you're living a good life and maybe you're having a good time. And yet God had so much more for you. Because a lot of times we don't surrender every area of our life. For those who won't budge from the grudge and we need that extra stimulation, James, James right here, he brings up Jesus, the the commander, and he mentions the fact that the Lord does, you know, condemn. And not that he sends us to hell per se, but there will be consequences. That type of grumbling will stunt our growth. And so in one sense, I think James kind of threatens us. Um, more of a warning um, because of love and holiness that God is forced to discipline disobedient children, right? And so the Greek word here. He, he uses, he makes a judgment against us in, in the sense that he will spank us somehow, that he will take that rod of correction and apply it to our seat of understanding. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about how God our Father will discipline us. You know, sometimes people wonder, well, why aren't my prayers being answered? And there's an interesting passage in Psalm 66, verse 18. It says, if I had harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. And that word harbored, it means I've cherished this sin. That You know, when we're talking about this, you got something against somebody or whatever it might be in our heart, we're just kind of holding on to it, right? This is, you know, no one else can see it. Sometimes we even doubt that God can see it, but God sees everything and we're just holding on to it. And then the, the, the psalmist, he says, that's why prayers, certain prayers are, are not being answered. And so he says right there that the Lord is close. Verse 9, behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, he's closer than we realize, you guys. Have, have you guys ever had someone at your door? 
You know, you're living your life, you're having a good time in your home, and you're just kicking back, and then all of a sudden, oh, there's someone at the door. <sighs> Do any of you guys have the Ring app? I'm just curious, and that kind of lets us know usually, but it's just different. Well, there's someone there, you better behave, you better not be yelling at each other, kicking the dog, whatever it might be, you know, because someone's at the door. Well, in this case, it's, it's Jesus. And so, you guys, just let's, let's come clean. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's not be people who... You know, you don't love individuals. I mean, you have to look at everyone, every single person that you will ever come in contact in planet Earth, and somehow, some way, there has to be nothing but love for them. Don't grumble against one another, especially in the church. And he says, because, you know, you might get condemned because Jesus is there. He's close. He's at the door. I remember when I was a little boy, I had a, a toy that I worshipped, and um, my cousin would come over and he would play with it, and I didn't really like that. <laughs> he didn't treat it right. He didn't treat it with tenderness. And so um, one day, I, I got him in my room, and I closed my door, and I said, listen, it, you can't play with this toy anymore, because if you, if you do, I'm going to give you free food, a knuckle sandwich, but I didn't use those exact words, Right? And I was just like all over him, you know, like this dumb, dumb cousin for the toy. And I'll never forget, you know, and how, you know how sometimes you have these childhood memories. Never forget, boom, the door opens right there and then. And his mom came in and she gave it to me. And let me tell you, if looks could kill, I would be dead. <laughs> she was right there at the door, listening to everything that was going on. <laughs> And, and that's what's going on spiritually. But listen, it's not our, our auntie. It's the Almighty God. And it's not just the words that we speak. It's the thoughts that we think. It's the stuff that we harbor in our hearts. Jesus knows all that. Remember what he told the church of Thyatira in Revelation 2.23, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to every one of you according to your works. He's talking to the church, and he doesn't just see it. He searches our hearts. And so, you know, think about it. And I know, like, I, I, you guys are beautiful people, and I'm like, well, Lord, I don't know if any of these people really struggle in this way. But if you do, and more chances are that a lot of you do, you got someone inside of you that you just hate, that you can't stand, that you groan against, moan against, sigh against, and, and God is just saying, not you. As Christians, don't do that. Pray for them, start giving it to God, because you need to be set free from that. This is how real Christians live. And so, the first thing he deals with, I think maybe we can all relate in some ways, is this type of sighing that's not right. And he says, you know, don't grumble. But then the second thing James deals with, because he knows life, is suffering. Look at verse 10. He says, my brethren, uh, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, if the, there is a strong possibility that if you keep it in context, that the suffering is because of the saints. And sometimes that happens, you know, in, in, in church. 
of course, we know it's applicable to all suffering. And for that, I want to open it up for sure, man. Because I know you guys are going through things. I know you're suffering. What do you do with it? I'll tell you what the devil wants you to do with it. The devil wants you to split. The devil wants you to quit. The devil wants you to go away from God and never return. The devil wants you to complain and, and cry and never grow through the trials that God's going to bring your way. Suffering is, is huge. And we're all going to go through it in one way or another. You know, right here, James is saying, when it comes to that type of sign, you know, don't grumble. And when it comes to suffering, uh, don't quit. We're all called to suffer. Augustine, he said, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online and you're dying inside. You're hurting inside. And you're like, Lord, what do I do with this? And one of the things I want to encourage you in is suffering has a way of helping you more than anything else in life, in a greater way, in a deeper way. And you have to make sure, in one sense, you harness it. You know, one person said, all thoughts worth thinking, and all lessons and life worth living are conceived in the furnace of suffering. I mean, there's a growth there. There's an insight there. There is a depth of character and life that can only be formed in the fires of suffering. And so as we go through this as Christians, we, we got to make sure that we do the right thing because one of the things that I got to warn you against, because some people will go through suffering and, they'll, and then some people even teach, well, you're going to grow, you're going to grow, you're going to grow. Not everybody grows. Some people, it's, it's Oswald Chambers, I like what he said. He said, it's nonsense to say that suffering makes saints. It makes some people devils. You know, they go through the suffering and they don't keep their eyes on the Lord. They're not in the word. They're not in prayer. They're not in fellowship. They're not seeking God. They drift away. They form weird doctrines. They have a distance between them and God now when in all reality, God wanted to use that, use that pain for this great purpose to bring them actually closer to him. But it's not automatic. And so James right here, he encourages us to, to be patient and blessed and endure and persevere and, and never give up. He wants us, first of all, letter A, to learn from the good examples he encourages the brethren to ponder the prophets of the Old Testament who spoke in the name of the Lord. And he said, consider their example of patience and obedience despite their suffering. And this is why another reason, and I, again, I, have to, I know I'm probably just speaking to a minority here, but you know, this is why it's important you read your Bible. Some people, they don't read their Bible. I trip out. I'm like, wait a minute, you're not reading God's love letter to you? It's just sitting there collecting dust. What are you doing? Watching television, having a good time, doing other stuff. I mean, to me, you know, reading my Bible, reading the Old Testament stories, sometimes God will speak, our, you know, through their lips, you know, with the things that they say. But a lot of times in the Old Testament, especially, you'll see God speak through their life. Look what Joseph went through. You guys know, when you read the Old Testament, how this guy was hated by his brothers and they were going to kill him, but then they changed their mind and they sold him and then he became a slave. And then he was just trying to do the right thing when some girl came on to him and this beautiful woman in the prime of his sexual life, 17 years old, but he said, no, 
What ends up happening as a result of that? He goes to prison. He's in prison for two years. I mean, talk about suffering. Talk about going through difficulties. Talking about, well, here's someone that, man, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a follower. This is what happens. But he never quit. And what did God do? God used him to save, in many ways, the world. You know, that's why it's important you read the Old Testament and you read, you know, individuals like Joseph or you read individuals like David and what a, a, a beautiful man, not a perfect man, but all the suffering that he went through. And he, you know, was such a godly man. I mean, such a, I mean, this guy was amazing. He was a soldier that all guys would be envious of. He was a poet. He, he meant just uh, sensitive. I mean, just, he had all the, the tools, you know, and, and you trip out on him. He was loyal. He loved Saul. He loved Saul. Just think if Saul would have just taken David and his son Jonathan and just, man, served the Lord together. Imagine what kind of nation that would have been. But Saul got all jealous of of David. And next thing you know, David's on the run for 10 years and he's living in caves. He had been anointed to be the king. He had this great future. But he went through so much suffering. But during those times, he'd be writing the Psalms. He'd be seeking the Lord. He'd be singing praise songs. And that's what, that's what James is saying here. Look at these Old Testament saints, these prophets. You know what God had, had done. You know, right now we're reading through the Bible in a year and we're in the book of Jeremiah. And this guy, think about it. He was so hated by the people. Because of the words that he shared, and he was, uh, you know, he'd be standing in the front entrance because all the people were going into the temple and they weren't really serving the Lord, and they put him in, you know, the pit and they put him in chains and they hated him. You know, I know as a pastor, eventually, eventually, I am going to say something that's going to offend everybody. I already know that. Eventually, someone's not going to like me, and that's okay. What do you do? I mean, you got some pastors out there that they won't teach the Bible. They won't share God's word because they want everybody to like them. We can't be that way. We have to teach the word. All I want to do is please him. So when you're looking at the Old Testament, you have a Jeremiah, you have a, a David, you have a Joseph, you have so many. I mean, I think of, you know, Naomi. I think of um, Ruth. I think of individuals, you know, Hannah. And, they, and the thing about them, the Lord says, is they didn't, they didn't give up. No, they endured. Look at verse 10 again. My, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Now, the Greek word translated patience here, it it's, describes a person who has a power to avenge himself, yet refrains from the exercise of that power. You know, something interesting, in the Greek language, it can be so specific. This word right here is in reference to dealing with people. So you're suffering and you're having patience with people. And so, you know, that's something important for us to know. Over the years, I've heard some people say, well, I can't work with the public. Customer service is not my thing. And for them, uh, the problem is people especially problem people, you know? And so I don't know if you guys have ever met someone like that where they're just like, I'm not a, a, pers- a people person, right? But, but where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide eventually? You know, you have to face people. And as a matter of fact, God wants you to. 
God wants you to be a people person. God loves people. And so we have to learn this Greek word of long-suffering and patience with people. And then James uses another interesting word here. If you, if you read on in, in verse 11, indeed we count them blessed to endure. And a, a different Greek word translated um, perseverance in that same verse and refers to patience towards circumstances. And it means to remain and sustain a load of miseries and adversities. And, and life will throw that your way. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's just life. It's your job, it's your health, it's some type of circumstances. You know, I, I, over the years, and it seems like it's more frequent now, you're talking to more and more people who are struggling with depression and anxiety. Last night I was on the phone with a young man, very young, you know, and struggling with suicidal thoughts. A lot of people are. And when you're there, all you want to do is just say, I'm done. I quit. And what James is saying is, don't. Don't quit. Sometimes we struggle with sinners. Sometimes we struggle with circumstances. We have to endure. James 1.12, similar, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been proved, he will receive the crown of life. Again, they were talking again about the judge, the reward that we have. Which the Lord says, I promise to give to everyone who, who loves me. And so when we're going through the trials, number one, letter A, learn from the good examples. And letter B is learn, look to the good ending. And we see that there again in verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. So, so you're going through your, your suffering and you're like, well, Manny, what do I do? Or, you know, Lord, what do I do? Well, number one, look to the examples. You really want to get encouraged? Open up your Bible. Start reading your Bible. It's amazing how it encourages you. And, and then number two, don't just look to the example, look to the end. The end intended by the Lord who is compassionate, you guys. The end intended by the Lord. You guys know there's great purpose for the pain. And you may say, well, not my pain. It's too bad and it's too severe and it's too heavy. But remember what I always say, the greater the battle, the greater the blessing, right? Whether it's, you know, chastening because I've done something wrong. It's God will still work in that. Or maybe they're just challenges because I've done something right. Whatever it is, you know, look to the good ending, C.H. Spurgeon said, I owe more to the fire and the hammer and the file than to anything else in my Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I have ever learned anything except through the rod. And that's our our life. You guys know this. How how would you finish this uh, uh, saying? No pain, no gain. But how many of you here would prefer no pain? I'm just curious. (laughs) I prefer learning that way. And we already know the truth, right? Exodus 1.12, it talks about the Jews, and it says the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. You know, the, the, the Egyptians were coming and afflicting them, and the people of God were growing and multiplying. And Psalm 119.67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may... Learn your statutes. 
You know, Job right here is pretty much the standard for suffering, isn't he? You know, you're here and you're like, well, man, you don't know what I'm going through. Probably a lot, I understand, and I know it's difficult, but man, Job, look what he went through. I mean, and he was so much more righteous than any of us. You know, sometimes people, they compare their life to Job, and they feel like, I feel like Job. Well, did you, were you like Job in the beginning? Were you blameless and upright? Did you fear God? Did you shun evil? When the Lord had a conversation with the devil, he said, have you seen my servant Job? There is no one like him in the whole world. So when you compare your life to Job, well, I'm a Job. Well, you know, we, I know me, I deserve so much more severe of a sentence than I've experienced in life. I, I always, when I pray to the Lord, I'm Lord, thank you that I'm not in hell right now. Thank you that, you know, you've blessed me in so many ways. I even get to be involved in the ministry, and even though I don't deserve it. But when you look at Job, I mean, here was a man who was so right on, loved the Lord, he loved his family perfectly. He was doing good in every way, and then one day his whole world just collapsed. Overnight, Satan just crushed him, was allowed to strip him of everything, worst of all being the death of his 10 children. Can you imagine 10? We love our children, 10 children dying overnight. And then he was covered with painful boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And the counsel from his wife was to curse God and die. And that wasn't his wife. That was the devil. You know, you should just take your life. His friends told him that the reason he was going through all the trouble was because of his sin. Again, another lie just intended to bring him down and make him quit. And when you look at the book, it's just a full-on drama really with the devil who provided maximum suffering in the life of Job. But by the grace of God, he never lost his faith. He never stopped believing. You never stop. And for me, I would say reading your Bible, praying, going to church service. Because we're living in a world now where a lot of people, they don't even go to church service anymore. They don't. They have, well, yeah, I don't really need to go to church service and you know, maintain a close relationship with God. Uh, now, what Bible are you reading? And then they'll hop churches and they'll go all over the place. And you know, when the Lord, when you read 1 Corinthians 3, there's a congregation, there's a body of believers. And so for, for me, when I'm talking about like serving the Lord, I'm, t- I'm talking about going all in. I mean, these are things that we have to settle in our hearts. Where's God calling you? And once he gives you a home church, then you go there. It's not perfect. It'll never be perfect. But these are the things I think as we're seeking the Lord that he will lay on our hearts. You know, it's a drama with the devil who provided all this. And in the end, Job knew himself and he knew God in a deeper way. You know, he said, and basically, I used to know God like this and I thought I was pretty good. But now my repentance and reverence for God have shown me that I was only ankle deep before I went through all this suffering. Remember Philippians 3.10? It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You guys remember that? and the fellowship of his sufferings. As we go through life, as we suffer, we're going to have this fellowship that we can never have in any other way. I think for Job, it would have been easier if he had read the book of Job first time. 
<laughs> but then in the end, the, the intended by the Lord. You know, you, you read uh, in Job 42.10, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. And indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God wants to do something greater in your life. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, in Job 42.12, it says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. And you go through this crazy calamity, this tragedy, and you're, you know, you're thinking, my life is all downhill now, when in all reality, God says, now I'm going to bless you more than before. Because as you go through the suffering with your eyes on the Lord, you have this relationship that deepens and this fellowship that you could never have before. And that was my dad's favorite verse. As he got older. And the Lord blessed the latter years more than the former. Sometimes people think, well, I know I'm getting older and whatever, you know, it's not going to be as good. I think that as long as you just continue to seek the Lord, it'll always get better. Always. It gets deeper. And so James here, he talks about sighing, not to sigh against uh, other Christians. And he talks about suffering and just don't give up. Look at the examples. Look at the intent that God, the end that God in, intends. And then he, and he closes with, with swearing in verse 12. He says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with an oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no lest you fall into judgment. There's that word again, judgment. So I would say it this way, because, you know, really what Jesus here is talking about, and it's interesting how James tells us the same thing Jesus tells us, is, you know, when it comes to our, our words, we shouldn't have to guess what I meant, for example, when I said yes. Well, did you mean yes? Are you going to be there? Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> And you should know what I meant when I said no. Because you know I'm a man of my word. That's kind of what he's saying. In one sense, if I could just say it this way, and I know there's more to it, but don't be sighing inside of your heart against anyone. And, and, and what you do when it comes to suffering, never quit. God's doing something great and deep and beautiful. And then when it comes to swearing, like I, how many of you guys used to do this? I used to do this when I was a kid. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, you know, whatever, five, you know, $5 back, I, you know, because you borrowed $5. I swear to God. You guys ever do that? When you were little, some of you were probably raised better. I don't know, but I used to do that. You know, and they would do this a lot in the Jewish culture. It was something that was common back then. Um, one person said the Pharisees were notorious for their oaths, which were made on the least provocation. Um, and so the, what we see right here, James is saying is you don't need to swear. We're not talking about profanities. We're just talking about like, hey, I swear by heaven that I'll you know, be here for Awana tonight or whatever. I, you know, I, I swear at my mother's grave or things like that. You don't need to do that because we should actually be a people whose words carry weight. And, and the only way that that could happen is if you stop lying. That when you say something, you mean it. You know, I learned early on with my kids, for example, you know, that if I told them I was going to get them ice cream, I better get them ice cream because if I didn't get them ice cream and I told them that I'd get them ice cream, 
not only would I disappoint them, but I would teach them that I'm a liar. They wouldn't know when's true, what dad is saying, you know. And so you do your best. At that point, you're like, well, man, I better be careful that I don't make flippant promises and, you know, say things that I really don't mean. You know, Jesus said our oath shouldn't be necessary. The Lord was basically saying that our life should be sufficient to back up our words, that a yes would always be yes and a no would be no. Watch, if you turn real quick to Matthew 5, I think most of you are familiar with this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, in verse 33, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, Jesus said, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. And that I can attest to. (laughs) But let your yes be what? Yes. And your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And it's a different community. It's a different life. It's a different church. It's a different family. When they can count on your words to be true. And so back in James, when you, when you put it all together, I think it's such a, a great thing that the Lord is trying to bring us to as, as a church. Again, verse 12, above all, and that tells us how important this is. You know, he's talking to Christians, don't swear. You know, you don't do it either by heaven or earth or anything else. But we got to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And there's a couple of things. He says, lest you fall into judgment. And so... Number one, it might be that just swearing, like I swear. You, you don't even have to say I promise. Just that, you know, invites God's judgment. Or if you vow and you don't follow through. So those are the types of things that bring the judgment. And so what's God going to do? Man, he's going to give you 39 lashes. Get over here. And he start. is that what he's going to do in, in, when you stand before Jesus? I mean, for some of us here, yeah, we're going to experience consequences. Sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes it's circumstantial. Sometimes it's even physical. People are suffering because of the fact that they're living in sin. And so I'm not saying that God doesn't still do that. Hebrews 12, that's why we have to be holy. We have to be holy. But when it comes to the judge and standing before Jesus, at the end of the day, it's going to be the loss of rewards. And this is why when we're looking at this, you guys, we have to make sure that we're right in our relationship with him. So uh, Roman numeral number one, sighing. When it comes to that type of sighing, don't grumble. Number two, suffering. When it comes to suffering, please don't ever give up. And then number three, when it comes to swearing, at the end of the day, don't do it. Don't lie. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. And everybody knows that's the type of person you are. And you watch what God does in your life. You know, it's all rooted. The only way this is all possible is rooted in a relationship with God. We're talking about a condemnation that sometimes Christians can experience a form of that in one sense, 
But isn't it cool what we read right here in their passage, how God is compassionate? God is compassionate, you guys. And so if you're here and you need to get right in your relationship with God, that's kind of what church is in, in one sense. You know, you're not here to check off a box and say, I went on Sunday morning. We're here to experience him and to make adjustments and to move forward. And so if that's you, that's me, let's pray for that as a church. And then if you're here and you're not a Christian, again, most important thing in the whole world, man, is that you give your life to Christ. He died for you on a cross. Think about that. And all your sins were laid on him. And then they put him in a grave, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead because death couldn't conquer him. And that means that we also will rise if we place our faith in Jesus. It was so cool after the funeral um, the other night, just talking to people, man, and just saying, I want to get right with God. Hey, you know, people coming up right after the service, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's just so beautiful just being able to have all these conversations throughout the night um, because Ecclesiastes 7, it says it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a feast because when you go to a funeral, you think about it. I'm going to die one day and I got to make sure that I'm forgiven. So when you stand before Jesus, you don't want to stand in your own righteousness uh, because you might be a good person, but you're not good enough. You need the imputed righteousness of of Christ. So that's what happens when you say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If you haven't done that, I pray that you would do that today.